A. There we go. Uh, I'm always struck by the the difference, the way we perceive Jesus. Uh, and so really the, the, what I'm going to talk about today comes out of uh, my life not having grown up in the church. But the stories of Christmas and Easter were always kind of a part. Uh, maybe it was the, the difference. The 70s were different than today. But, but culturally, we understood about Jesus and the baby uh, but it was always the birth of a king and uh, and then uh, Easter. But I knew that it was about the birth of Jesus and Easter was about the cross. But the fact that both of the holidays, and I say holidays being as, as clear as I can, holiday is, is short for holy day. Right, these being the two most holy days that we remember, and that it was the same baby born in the manger who lived and taught and then went to the cross and died for our sins. It's the same Jesus. And so the connection between them we need to make sure is firmly established and remembered the most important event in human history. It started with the birth of Jesus. And you don't have to look any further than our calendar to see the importance, right? The date, the year, 2023, soon to be 2024, is determined by the Gregorian calendar, which was established in 1582. This was a reform of the Julian calendar, uh, which was started in 45 BC, uh, but really it was more widely established in the 9th century. The year was recognized from the birth of Jesus. I know there's a, a push to uh, kind of in secular academia to, to go by uh, CE and BCE for common era and before common era. Uh, but regardless, if that's what you choose to do, you can't get away from the fact that the year is approximately 2,023 years since the birth of Jesus. And it's his birthday that we celebrate. So if we're going to start the story of Jesus, we're, we're actually looking at the idea that it's, it's the story of Jesus from the manger to the cross and then majesty. Now I want to start the same way the Apostle John started the story in in his gospel chapter one the very first verse it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God 
all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is how the story starts. In fact, it, it, we, we kind of think that, that Jesus kind of starts right there in the manger, yet Jesus always was, right? He's, he's not a created being, and so he is God and always was. And so because of that, we need to understand that the gospel is not God's second choice. It's not plan B. It's not the last ditch effort by God to save humanity. And I think a lot of people think that way. We, we think something like, well, you know, it started in the garden and that didn't work out. So now we got to do something else. And well, let's try, let's try the Jews and the law. Well, that didn't quite work. And, and so now what? Well, let's, let's do this, this manger thing and, and that's not it. In fact, the gospel was always God's plan to reconcile humanity to himself through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That was always the plan. There's a word that I use that's that same word from last week, atonement. That there was a punishment to pay for sin. And so how did he do it? What's the story? Well, how do we know it started before the birth of Jesus in the manger? Well, one good place to go is that the birth of Jesus was foretold in prophecy. The book of Isaiah was written approximately uh, during the years 740 to 701 BC. That's, that's at least 700 years before the events in the manger. And Isaiah wrote uh, those prophecies that foretelling of the birth of the Messiah, the Christ. In Isaiah 9, uh, starting in verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. And from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You might realize telling the story of Jesus is going to involve reading a lot of scripture today. So bear with me. And then in chapter 7, verse 14 of Isaiah, he also wrote, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That means God with us. One of the most fascinating aspects of the birth of Jesus is to look at how people responded to him. Right During that time, what was going on? How did people respond to the news? First of all, the birth of Jesus was proclaimed by the angels. 
Luke chapter 2. Luke records, starting in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. You see, the angel started the good news. And it didn't end there. The birth of Jesus is celebrated by those who recognize him. It was celebrated then, even as today. So we we want to see who responds to Jesus in an appropriate way. There was the angels. There were the wise men, the magi. I want to look at the shepherds. The shepherds are unique. We kind of don't understand about the shepherds a lot, but realize that shepherds lived with their animals, right? Not only did they protect them and care for them, they lived with them. They smelled like them. They tended to not spend a lot of time with people. How are they going to respond to Jesus? Verse 8 of chapter 2 of Luke. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. So here it is. Here's the response. What do they do? Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which is the Lord has made known to us. Their response, we need to know more. When you hear about Jesus, you need to know more. You need to learn more. But everyone didn't respond in the same manner. Jesus wasn't recognized by everybody. Herod wanted to capture and do away with him because he saw him as a threat, right? Where's this one born king of the Jews? And he's like, wait a minute, I'm king of the Jews. 
Jesus wasn't celebrated and recognized by everyone and isn't recognized by everyone today. When Joseph and Mary arrived in their hometown, well, it's kind of more like an ancestral home, right? He wasn't from there. It would be uh, like me having to go to Chicago for the census because that's where my dad was born. In Bethlehem, they weren't welcomed. People didn't even seem to notice or have time for them. And everyone didn't recognize the significance of what was going on. How often we get so busy doing everything else, we forget what's most important. So here's what was going on. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The reason they were registered is so they could be taxed, right? So it's not just, hey, let's see how many people are here today. It's, let's see how much money we're going to bring in. This was the first registration with Quirinius, who was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, and the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Can you imagine the birth of Jesus, the son of God? Well, you could sleep in the back with the animals. Yet that's what happened. Right? The most significant event that had happened in all of creation to that point Well, we're all full here, sorry. Thinking about the impact of that, I I went uh, a few years ago, I walked into a Starbucks. I was waiting in line and there was something weird had happened. I don't, I didn't know what had gone on, but, but people were chatting to each other and, and I'm like, what did I just miss? And so when I got up to the register to order, the, uh, the barista said, you just missed him. Tom Hanks was just here. And I went, oh. And I go, and? They go, well, he's he's heading over to the airport. And he's flying to go watch a a premiere of a movie. And I said, okay, but what I really want to know is what coffee did he order? Yeah, they had totally forgotten all that. You see, there was more excitement about Tom Hanks in the Starbucks, then there was Jesus being born in that inn where there was just no room. How sad is that? Because there will be a point where people won't ever remember Tom Hanks was even a person. Yet there will certainly never be a time when people don't remember that Jesus Christ was born in the manger. They didn't even have room in the inn. The 33 years of Jesus' life on earth is an example to us, then, of how to live. Right? So he wasn't just born to die. He also set the example. He lived 
as a man, fully God and fully man. He was tempted, as scripture says, in the same ways that we were yet was without sin. Jesus had a purpose for his life, and and I can't continue the story without mentioning Jesus' purpose. In Luke 19, 9 and 10, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. Verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that kind of culminating events that would follow go back to here. Here it is, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus stressed seeking and saving the lost. And so should we. The gospel is not a fable for telling us how to live, though. It's the good news about how to be saved. Therefore, Jesus did not just teach us moral lessons. He then went to the cross. Right? He didn't just teach us, here's what you ought to do. Here's a bunch of sayings. Here's parables. Right? And that was it. He then said, now I go to the cross that you might be saved. We get the benefit of both. We get his teachings of of what we ought to do and how we ought to do it. And we get a savior who went to the cross to pay for us. We can't tell the story of the baby in the manger without telling that part. The cross. John chapter 19. Verse 16 and following. So he delivered him, he being Judas, he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each Sigh, Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. And the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write that. The king of the Jews, but rather this man said, right? He claimed, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, I have written what I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garment, divided them into the four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Jesus Because the purpose of his life, what he was there to do, was that he would seek and save the lost. He went willingly. It wasn't easy. Scripture records it was hard, but he still went. He went willingly for us. The wonder of the gospel is that death did not win. The tomb was empty. 
Jesus was resurrected and we can believe and can be saved. You see, the good news, the gospel, is that there's a way to be saved. That even though the punishment for our sin, Scripture says, is death, we can still be saved through Jesus. Death was defeated. Because Jesus died on the cross and was dead and buried, we can't stop there. The story doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop with a really great guy who died, who was executed by the Romans, who was persecuted by the Jews. It doesn't stop there, thankfully. Matthew 28 Starting in verse 1, And now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, he has said, as he said, come see the place where he lay. You see, if Jesus was dead and remained dead, then we're wasting our time today. It's that Jesus was dead and buried and on the third day was resurrected. The tomb was empty because death could not hold him. Because Jesus was resurrected, we have the hope that we too won't die in our sin. And that'll be the end. That we can be saved. And so the story doesn't end there either. We've been given a job to do. Right? Because the story doesn't end, what are we going to do because of it? In Mark chapter 16, it's recorded. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not will be condemned. So there it is, right? There's more to it. It's not just the story. And then Jesus died on the cross. He paid for our sins. And that... We could believe and be saved, but then we've got marching orders. We've got a job to do. Our job is to step up to the mission we've been given in order that some might be saved. We're to get to work until the Lord returns. Jesus told several parables about being ready. You see, he didn't tell the story Uh, And the parables about being ready so people would like set their alarms and get up and go to work. That's not the kind of ready he's talking about. He is talking about a point at which he will return and then it will be too late for some. It's so weird to do our job until then. Until when? Well, in Matthew 24, verse 30 and 31 Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and when all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds 
of heaven and with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from every, from one end of heaven to the other. You've probably heard it mentioned that this is the Advent season. It is Advent. The, the idea of Advent is, it means coming. It's the, the coming of the birth of the Lord. We celebrate that today. But, but we can't talk about the Advent of Jesus and the birth of Christ without talking about the second Advent. The second coming of Christ. And then God's plan will be fulfilled in eternity. In Christ, we get to join in. The promise of salvation is both for the hereafter and the here and now. Right? It's what we do now and it's what he promises us in eternity. That picture of eternity, uh, Peter talked about it, chapter 3. In his second letter, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? That's the the here and now. Right now, what should you do? You should live in holiness and godliness. Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. That's that second advent. The day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and new earth in which the righteousness dwells. You see, I I know it's Christmas and I know we're to talk about uh, the baby and the manger and the magi and the shepherds and the angels. But I don't want to miss the point that that where the culmination of all of that is, is in the majesty of our Savior. And so I want to go to Revelation, right? It seems like a strange place to go here in the middle of December. But I want to go to Revelation chapter 5, because we want to make sure we're clear about the majesty. Verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep. This is. John, the Apostle John, writing, he says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6, and between the throne and of the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Seven horns with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and 
golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain by your blood. You were ransomed for God from every tribe and language and people and nations. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. You see, the same Jesus, the same one that we celebrate his birthday at Christmas. And we, we read his parables and his teachings and, and we, we talk about what we ought to do because of that. The same one that we trust and believe that he died on the cross to pay for our sins. That same Jesus, that same lamb of God. He's the one that the angels worship. And that the myriad upon myriad of creatures celebrate. Then the four living creatures proclaim, amen. Because he is worthy Scripture makes it clear. He is worthy and none other are. He is worthy, the Lamb, for blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And they said, Amen. Well, if you get a picture of what we talked about today, it's that you can't tell the beginning of the story without the end how important it is to realize the significance of Christmas in the context of Easter, right? That that's the same Jesus. So what do we do about it? Well, I have some next steps. First of all, let's, let's do it right. Let's celebrate the birth of Jesus as the gift of God that it is. We do that by sharing and, and exchanging gifts with one another. We do that by remembering what it really is about. And then second, I'm going to look for opportunities to make disciples, to share the good news, to proclaim what this season is all about. If there is uh, time of year when people are willing, more open to hearing about the gospel, to experiencing some things with church, it's this time of year. So take the opportunity. Maybe it's next week for the service. Uh, maybe they're like, you know, it's just a busy, you know, maybe it's a couple weeks after, but, but don't miss the opportunity to tell someone about Jesus, invite them to church. And to, to show the love of Christ. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we are uh, so blessed. We are blessed because of what Jesus uh, did for us on the cross. We're blessed because uh, it wasn't just a good story. It wasn't just entertainment. It wasn't just a, a fun thing to tell our kids about. But it was the birth of our Savior. And that it didn't end as a story of a baby being born in a manger. But for 30 some odd years, he taught. He willingly went to the cross. That as scripture says, he became sin in our place. He who knew no sin became sin. He took our sin to pay the penalty, to atone for what we had done, that we might believe and repent and be saved. We thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.